with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 22 through 35. Well, let's, let's move to, uh, well, yeah, we'll stop at 35. So in chapter 2, beginning with verse 22 of Acts, it reads, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified him and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will, res- will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades or hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body... According to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God, has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, verse 35, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my, your footstool. The verse I want to particularly focus on this morning is verse 22, where it says, or I should say in verse um, 32, this is, Jesus, this Jesus, because he's the focus of this morning. This Jesus speaks of a particular person. It's not just talking about any Jesus. In biblical time, it was a a popular name. It causes us to think about this Jesus that Peter's going to point out to us. This Jesus, even before we pay attention to what Peter has to say, this Jesus is different. He's special. He's not to be, excuse me, he's not to be mistaken for anybody else. And this part of scripture is the second part of Peter's message about this Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter starts with these words in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Ladies and gentlemen, here in the sanctuary, 
hear these words. And then his statement became a description of this person, this Jesus, his work, up to the statement of our text in verse 32, where Peter says, this Jesus has God raised up. So between the opening words of verse 22 and verse 32, we have a picture a description of the person that Peter is referring to. Peter drew the people's attention to the only one, or to the one that they knew, this Jesus of Nazareth. He was well known by that name throughout all that area. Peter reminded them that the person he was talking about was a man. He was 100% man, he was 100% God, but when he came to the earth in the flesh, he was, he was 100% man. And he was separate and he was different from all other men. He was perfect in his human nature, which was proven by the wonders that God had done through him. And Peter Peter further reminded them that they, that is the men of Israel, had turned this man over to the Gentiles. That is those that were not the Jews. Men without law who crucified him in verse 23. Of this man, Peter said, this Jesus, God has raised up. This Jesus that you knew. This Jesus that you killed. This Jesus who is the Messiah. This Jesus that David predicted would come. The one that you've been waiting so long for. This Jesus is the one that God has raised up. What did this wonderful act of God mean? One time in the history of the human race, a man murdered by his enemies was raised from the dead and exalted by God to the place of universal power. So what's the importance of this text? What's the importance of the resurrection? Well, first of all, the fact that God raised up this Jesus of Nazareth from among the dead, it speaks of God's total approval of Jesus Christ. The whole story of Jesus presents continual and increasing proof of the Father's approval of him. uh, There were remarkable signs at Christ's birth. All the worlds known to men were moved by Christ's birth. Angels broke through the silent night and they sang praises over Bethlehem. Kings from far away were moved to follow the guidance of a star, to bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the newborn child. And while hell and all its its partners of evil was shaken to the core, hell worked its evil through the hatred of a king that murdered innocent baby boys. The world was not ready to receive Jesus. The world around us is not ready to receive Jesus. The question is, are you? Are you ready to receive Jesus? But God's approval of this child was shown by outward and material signs, astonishing mankind. God's approval was seen in all the miracles that Jesus did. 
Notice in verse 22 what it says again. Jesus of Nazareth attested by God. It means proved by God. Jesus of Nazareth attested by God are proven by God to you by the miracles, the wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. When he died, when Jesus died, remember supernatural signs accompanied his death. When he died on the cross, it showed proof of God's approval of him. And remember the earth quaked. Remember the sun was darkened. Graves were opened. And these were all of God's proofs that the crucifixion, crucifixion was a thing of sin against the whole order of things. But the greatest sign of all, the final display of God's approval of this Jesus is that God raised him from the dead. Not just resurrection from the dead, but right after he was, as verse 33 says, exalted to the right hand of the Father where he sits right now interceding for you and me. Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. Not just a certain few, not anybody in particular. He died for every man. Death had no, but death had no control over him. So what did his resurrection prove? It first testifies to the perfection of that life. Of the life of this man, this Jesus. The resurrection says, it declares in human history that this man, rejected by men, is accepted of God. That his type of human life, that is the way he lived, the world couldn't find any room for him. As today, the world doesn't have any room for Jesus in their life. But Jesus is God's type of human life. What's the type? God-centered. Self-denying. And serving others. And this is the whole story of Jesus. He was God-centered. He was self-denying. And he served others. And from beginning to end, this was his life. Jesus improved the quality of life. He brought light into darkness. He brought freedom to those in bondage. He brought hope for those in despair. He brought peace to those in torment. And he still does this very day. Jesus, the Bible says, went about doing good. And the Bible says, he did all things well. And right now he's at the right hand of God. He's God's pattern for God's purpose. This Jesus is the type of human life that, God, that makes God happy. The resurrection further shows the fact that this type of life that Jesus lived was victorious. It was a victorious life. There was never a single moment in Jesus' life when he moved from the true center of his life and that center was God himself, and he never got off center. He never went off track. The people of the world called the Christian, the Christian man, woman, the Christian period, the world calls us off center. They call us 
off our rocker, if you will. They think we're archaic. We believe in the Bible. We're out of touch. The people of the world, like I said, call all the Christian men off-center. When in reality, it's the world. It's the worldly man apart from God that's off-center, that's off their rocker. Think about it. They say men can have babies? We're off our rocker? (laughs) We're off-center? Need to say no more. George Orwell, an English novelist, said this, and it's right on. The further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. The world hates us tonight, today. They hate the church. They hate the Bible. They hate Christianity. They hate Christians. Why? We speak the truth. They don't like the truth. The very reason that Jesus was crucified, they did not like what Jesus had to say about truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' life was not off-center. It was always God-centered. And even though all the forces of the world, the flesh and the devil, tried to draw him away out of the center of his life, he never left that center. The life that this man taught and called others to live, he lived himself. And the resurrection is the great demonstration of God's approval of that type of life. And the resurrection proves also that he fulfilled his purpose in the world, which according to his own teaching was that of revelation and mediation. Jesus was in the world. He came here to this world to reveal his Father. To show man what God was like. And he came to bring men to the Father. Did he succeed? How will I know? Well, the Bible tells us that the angels rolled away the stone. There's nobody in the tomb. There's just grave clothes because he is risen. That's how we know he succeeded. That's how we'll know. Not only is he the perfect man, but this man, Jesus, has fulfilled his purposes of revelation and mediation. He came to reveal God to us and to be our mediator between God and man. He's fulfilled those roles. So the resurrection uh, proves the completeness of his victory over death. And in this same sermon, Peter says in verse 24, notice it was not possible that he should be held by it, it being death. Death couldn't hold Jesus. And why is that? Because Jesus dealt with the sin problem. Sin is the sting of death. Paul said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had taken its power out of death. The Bible says that Jesus abolished death, and the word abolished means to render inoperable. Death doesn't work for the Christian anymore. 
we die this earthly death, but we rise in glory to never die again. But the unbeliever dies here, and he dies a spiritual death afterwards. Jesus has taken power out of death, and he's robbed death of its sting, and he's made it forever a door to life. Jesus made that old rugged cross a door to life. The second thing about the resurrection demonstrated God's uh, rejection of all other men. He accepted the perfect one, which means he rejected all imperfection. The Bible says there's not one good. Not one good. We've all sinned. We've all gone, gone astray. We've all done our own thing. We've all gone away from God. There's none good. And a lot of, a lot of us at one time or, and still do think we're good. There's none but good. And that's this Jesus that God proved was the only one good because of the res- by the resurrection. What is the perfect type? I said it once. All right, life that's God-centered, life that's self-denying, and life that serves others. That serves others. God rejects the opposite of that. The imperfect life is self-centered, self-seeking, and self-serving. And God rejects that life, that those people forever. You know, they might be cultured. They might be educated, refined, sophisticated. They may have been, you know, taught in the finest of schools, but still totally self-centered, and God rejects those kinds of people. Morality in the church is a work of the Holy Spirit. Morality in, in the providence of God is confronting the type of life revealed in Jesus Christ. We're in danger of being satisfied with something in ourselves, in our fellow man, but that doesn't satisfy God. By the resurrection of this Jesus, who was crucified because of the type of life he had revealed, God set him at his own right hand. And God said to the human race, this Jesus is the only one, the only type of human life that can enter into fellowship with me now and in the afterlife. The resurrection of Jesus is the strongest objection of everything that is not what God showed to men through Jesus as the true example. He's the standard of human life. So that when I'm evaluating my life and I'm looking at my life, I don't do it by my neighbor. Oh, I'm better than my neighbor. I live better than my neighbor or my friend or any other human standard. We can always compare ourselves to somebody and always come out on top. Well, I'm not like that guy. They're not the standard. Our standard is Jesus Christ. And when you measure yourself against Jesus Christ, you aren't going to come anywhere close to that standard. 
The only man upon whom God has set his seal of approval is Jesus Christ, proven by the resurrection. And when you look at this Jesus, risen from the dead, and when you look at his life in its beauties and its perfections and all of its glory, and to the rich and the beautiful character of his absolutely unselfish living, you not only know what God's ideal is, but you see what you are capable of doing. That's what you are capable of living that life in the new creation in Christ. He spoke of it on the, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 11. Let me read to you that life. The life that God blesses. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. See, many people are prideful. I tell you, I don't need Jesus. I don't need God. I'm a good person. I got this. I got that. I got my own church. I got my own religion. But apart from Christ, your religion, your church, whatever it is you believe is good enough, is not good enough. God blesses those who recognize their need for him. They recognize that the king, he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, that is, for their sin. They will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble. You see, God hates pride. It's the number one sin on the top of his list because people are proudful. They reject God. I don't need him. I'm fine the way I am. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God, uh, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is not something you do. It's something you are. The Sermon on the Mount is not an ideal. It's a statement of what will happen in me and in you when Jesus has changed my disposition and put in a disposition like his. For that life, for that kind of life, that's what God made me for. Not for a life of refinement. Not not for human morality and, and for culture. A life that's not concerned for the troubles and and the hurts and the weariness of others. Not for the life that's self-centered, that's basically led of the devil. It's made for, we're made for fellowship with God and to serve our fellow men. And for that self-denying that pours out our life in order to help others. And lastly, the importance of the resurrection is it speaks of the divine appointment of this Jesus. His right of restoring all of those that he rejected. God refused all other ways of salvation. The resurrection makes it clear. Acts 4.12 says, There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
We'd like to work out our own salvation because then we can say, oh, look what I did. I'm so holy because I do this and I do that. No, we don't work out our own salvation. We would prefer it because then we wouldn't have to consider the death to ourselves. We wouldn't have to consider self-denying. We wouldn't have to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be saved. God says by the resurrection, this is impossible. You can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Because every way of salvation tried by man is going to fail. It's doomed. And it's a disaster. But by his resurrection, God crowned Jesus the winner and shows the final defeat of everything that opposes Christ. At the cross, the world beat Jesus. At the cross, the world beat Jesus. When Jesus died on that cross, they were going, oh, finally, we're done with him. We can live the way we want to. We don't have to be told about our sin. The devil and his demons were dancing in the streets, just rejoicing. He's gone. And right now, the world would just love Jesus to go away. They love to see him out of their life. They love to see that he doesn't speak anymore. Worldly culture laughed at his simplicity, at his humility. The cross was and is foolish to those who are perishing, Paul said. Organized religion put an end to the only true voice of religion. The voice that really spoke of the spiritual and to the man who broke the religious traditions of men. Yet by that old rugged cross, God has shown to men that it's not by might nor by human spirit, human effort. It's not by the cultured mind or the educated mind. It's not by the religious mind or observances of man's invention. It's not by the priesthood that can make a man victorious. The resurrection is God's statement of the perfect victory in his son and in his rejection of every other kind of man and every other way of salvation. The resurrection is the revelation of human failure. It's God showing us, hey, man's failed. Man's failed in trying to get rid of God. And he's trying now to get rid of God. They don't want him in the schools. They don't want him in the courts. They don't want them in the government. They don't want them anywhere. And we got these anti-God groups trying to get rid of prayer everywhere and Bible, the Bible everywhere and us talking about him. They love us to go away. They say we're the problem. We're, causing, we're, we're, we're the cause of, of the world, you know, furthering its, its progress. Again, God's resurrection. The resurrection is God's statement of the perfect victory in his son and in his rejection of every other way of salvation. And again, the resurrection is God's revelation of man's failure in trying to get rid of God because he rose from the dead. When they nailed him to the cross, man did their best to harm him, 
But after he died, God never allowed another rude hand to touch the dead body of Jesus. Only loving hands touched him after he died. Only the hands of his loving disciples. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his body, and with loving hands they laid him to rest in the tomb. A man, we see man at his worst when they crucified him. Here we see man at their best when they took him from the cross and they laid him in his tomb. And then notice how in the resurrection, Jesus rejected everyone that rejected him. The priests went to Pilate and they reminded Pontius Pilate of what Jesus said before he died. The priests went to Pilate and said, hey, remember, Jesus said, I'm going to rise on the third day. So the priest told Pilate, you better have soldiers guarding that tomb. You better make sure that nobody, that nobody, that, that he doesn't leave that tomb. Because people would know the claims that he made were true. And we know they're true because we're here this morning. Yet in spite of all of man's cleverness to keep that body in the tomb, Jesus left it. With the grave clothes inside. Left it covered by a huge stone. It was sealed with the Roman governor's authority. It was guarded by soldiers at the request of the priest. Yet he rose. And just like today, as the world tries to keep Jesus in that tomb, shut up, put away, he lives, he rose, and he's among us today. This proved the truth that God rejects human, I'm sorry, it proves the truth uh, that God rejects Roman power, which represents human power. He rejected the the Hebrew priesthood, which is symbolic of man-made religion. And And he rejected the Greek culture, which was worldly wisdom. And God rejects those things today, human power, man-made religion, and worldly wisdom. Those were all rejected in that great moment that Jesus resurrected from the dead. But there's God's never-ending compassion here also. There's his unveiling love. The unveiling of God's love here in the resurrection. If by that resurrection rejects, uh, rejects all men, why does he do it? The only one he received was Jesus Christ, the perfect life. So if God, by that resurrection, rejects all men, why does he do it? Because they're failing to satisfy his will and his plan for man. He only rejects their failure so that he can make those damaged vessels over. He wants to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. In other words, those years that that man has damaged and and ruined because of, of, of their life from the past. God wants to give them those years back. He wants to make that that desert life, that barren life, he wants to make it blossom like a rose. He rejects the failure and he remakes it in his own image. The resurrection is God's approval of the new and living way. It's the acceptance of the man, this man, Christ Jesus. The disciples, hey, they tried to avoid the cross. They were afraid of it from the very first time it was mentioned. And through all those weeks, Jesus spoke about going to the cross. They had tried to avoid it. 
and people still today try to avoid it. The cross of, of you know, um, tough times and, and, and just the things that, that, that we encounter in life. Yet through the resurrection, the cross was seen as something good for rejected men. Read the Old Testament letters and see what the writers have to say about the cross. What gave them, what gave those of the Old Testament, or of the New Testament, what, what gave them their belief in the cross? It was the resurrection. Peter said in his letter that they were born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. We have a living hope. The world doesn't have a hope. They have a hope where they have to keep their fingers crossed. I hope this is what happens. Oh, we have a living hope. We know it's going to happen. Jesus said so, and it was verified by his resurrection. The cross was their despair. But then it became their hope when they saw the resurrection. Before the cross was the place of, de of defeat. But when they saw Jesus alive, they knew, hey, that cross, man, that's a place of victory. And by the resurrection, God says that the cross was healing for all of our hurts. And by this resurrection, God says to all men that the life he looks for is the life like Jesus. Is your life like his this morning? Are your motives like his this morning? Are your desires like his this morning? If not, know that in this day of resurrection and light and glory, you stand condemned. If you deny the resurrection... And there's nothing to say, but if this is the main established fact of Christianity, know this. The resurrection isn't just a nice Easter story. It's the judgment of an awful uneasiness or restlessness forever. Saying that God will not settle for your imperfection or for any type of human life except that which resembles the type shown in his son Jesus. In closing, the last note on the resurrection is one of hope for every man. No matter how messed up your life might be right now, no matter how damaged your life might be, no matter how tight the grip of wickedness like lust, passion, sin, or whatever else thing might have a hold on you, no matter how tight that is, no matter how disappointed you might be with yourself, as you stand in the light of the knowledge that Jesus has given you to the meaning of his own life. Because it says that you can be made new, you can become a new creation, you can be born again. The past forgiven, the past wiped out, in God's mind, he says, I will remember your sins no more. Clean your record and give you a brand new start. You know, a lot of people claim to believe in Buddha, and that's their salvation, and Mohammed, and Krishna, and, 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 and Confucius, and, and all of those leaders, religious leaders. 
You know, all but four of the major world religions are based on weak philosophical propositions, that is, weak and empty promises. And of the four that are based on persons rather than a philosophical system, only Christianity claims an empty tomb for its founder. Abraham, the father of Judaism, he died in 1900 B.C., but no resurrection was ever claimed for him. The original accounts of Buddha never ascribed to him any such things as a resurrection. In fact, the earliest records of his death, we read that when Buddha died, it was with utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. In regards to Mohammed, Mohammed died June 8th, 632 AD at the age of 61 at Medina. No claims of resurrection for him. These people, for the most part, hey, they may have been wise. They may have been smart. They may have intelligent. They may have said some good things. But the question here is not if they were good and wise. But are they qualified to wash away your sins? The resurrection says no to them. Yes to Jesus. All the millions and millions of Jews and Buddhists and Mohammedans, Krishna followers, Confucius followers, agree that their founders have never come out of their graves in resurrection. But as verse 32 says here, this Jesus, God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And that's why we are here this morning. We know that he is risen and that he saved us and he lives in us. Can everyone here this morning say that? I'm going to have the worship team come out right now and lead us in a song of worship. And during this time, I want you to think about the message this morning. I want you to focus on this man. This man whom God raised up, who resurrected from the grave. And then we're going to have a time of prayer afterward. And give you an opportunity to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior.
It says that when Peter finished preaching this message, here's the people's response. When they heard this, that is the message, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They felt the message. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? See, that's where you're at this morning. You've heard the message. Now what do I do? Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace toward us. You loved us so much, the Bible says, that you gave your only begotten Son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That is, they won't go to hell. But those who believe in him are the ones that God will welcome into the kingdom. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray this prayer out loud. If you've been cut to the heart by God's word. If you want to receive Christ, then you pray this sinner's prayer in your heart to the Lord. Dear Jesus, 
please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And while we're still praying, just quickly raise your hand up and put it back down who received the Lord. Anybody who said that prayer? Okay. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we just ask you now to bless, <clears throat> bless our time, our day, Father, and go before us. And let us re re just remember Follow those things that, that we learned and we heard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, for the ones that raised their hand, uh, we encourage you. We have a Bible back there. Pastor Tony has one. You're there. If you need one, you're free. To, it's, it's yours. And we encourage you to you know, go to a Bible teaching church. If you're close to, to us here, you're more than welcome. We'd love to have you. Uh, if not, we'll uh, talk to us about it, and we'll see if we can find one close by to you. And uh, begin to read the scriptures, begin to find out, learn, study about Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you and saved you. God bless you guys.